Come on. He's setting the captive free today. Come on, I'm free. You're free. Come on, don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you you are bound. You are free by the blood of Jesus. He's more than enough. Come on, I said he's more than enough. Well, somebody praise him for that today by faith. I know you don't feel like it, but by faith, say, I'm more than a conqueror. He always causes me to triumph. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel his presence here today. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Amen. I know sometimes it's, it gets on your nerves, so bear with me just a moment. Let me, let me ask you to do something for me today. I want you to turn to somebody. I don't care whether it's left or right, front or back. Now do this in just a minute. But I want you with all the sincerity you've got to say, I believe Jesus wants to do something in me today. All right, do that. I believe Jesus wants to do something in me today. In me. How many believe Jesus is enough? Oh, I mean really believe that. How many really believe that Jesus is enough? Jesus is enough. Amen. Okay. If we really believe that, we're going to put that to the test today through this message because it's not just enough to say it and even clap about it. Let, let's see how that works with real life. Oh, Jesus is enough? Then give us all your money. You don't need any. Jesus is enough. Sell your house. Jesus is enough. Take all those burdens that have you conflicted. Throw them down at the cross. Jesus is enough, right? Jesus is enough, right? In other words, if you've got Jesus, you've got everything you need. Is that what we're saying? Oh, see, I'm already losing your enthusiasm. But it's all right. The Lord wants to do something in me today, and I'm sure He wants to do something in you. Let me, make, uh, let me say how good it is to be home today. Amen. Uh, I heard you had a wonderful time last Sunday. You were in our thoughts. and. You know, thinking about Labor Day, that's always a special time. But, of course, you know, when your daughter gets married, that kind of trumps that. Somebody asked me, did you feel any different now that you have a married daughter? I said, yes. I didn't, that's not a bad thing. I just felt older. Brother Kyle put it best he said you just passed another mile marker on the journey and that's exactly what it felt like so uh, God for his grace to allow me to be here today to preach to you the good word of the Lord amen let me say also time there is a special event a young men's encounter that will be happening on the campground in Wapella, Illinois, a couple hours away. This is a father-son or uh, elder son, a Sunday school teacher, young person, youth worker, young person, 
interested man, young man. It doesn't have to be father, son. It does have to be male. Sorry. But uh, it's not just father, son. It's for ages 10 to 16. That's obviously the son part. They're not the fathers. So the sons or young men need to be 10 to 16. The elders or Sunday school teachers or van drivers or interested parties or fathers. Hey, the sky's the limit from however old you may be. Don't think you're too old. Uh, it'll be a Friday night and a Saturday day. Supper will be provided. Breakfast will be provided. But there's a lot of great activities, mentoring things. Somebody said they, they, they're going to show everybody how to throw hatchets at a target. So we're going to be hatchet throwers. We're going to paint our faces and get out in the moonlight around the fire and say, Hoorah! We're men. Me and Shayla went to the uh, air show yesterday, the Spirit of St. Louis Airport. That was quite exciting. But on the way, we heard a, a uh, commercial that said, Bring men back to greatness. Of course, it's in a bottle and it's testosterone. There's your answer. Bring men back to greatness. I'm not sure that's the greatness we're striving for. Am I okay? Man, I know you probably think, where in the world is he going? Okay, young men's encounter. This is not, uh, this is not one of those testosterone events. This is a Christian young man's event that I believe will uh, be a great blessing to young men ages 10 to 16. So we'll have a time for you to sign up if you want to go. It's about a month away, so be aware of that. Somebody say amen. Uh, let me take your attention today to X. Let me say before we go there, it's so good to have all of our guests today. Amen. We welcome you today in the house of the Lord. Uh, bear, bear with me this morning uh, to share with you two scriptures, the second of which I will go through, uh, I will go through verse by verse as we enter the word. But if you turn your attention to Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, Exodus 20, verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 6, and it will be on the screen. Or if you want to jot those uh, scriptures down to reference them later, it will be here before you today. Exodus 20, verse 1, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Anybody glad you're saved? That's who's saying it. And because I brought you out, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Say that with me. Thou shalt have no other gods before Oh, he's more than enough, right? Okay. Verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any... Not, not only am I the only God, you'll have no other gods. Don't make any graven image or any likeness. Don't make anything like God heaven or in earth or that is in the water under the earth there's nothing like him you can't make anything like him he's the God that delivered you verse 5 thou shalt not bow down to the things you try to make in the gods don't bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I 
the Lord thy God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. It gets real bad when you start making other gods. But that's not the end of the story. Thankfully, there's verse 6. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me. Thank God for his grace. And those that keep my commandments. Now let's turn to the second portion of scripture. Philippians 3 verse 7. Philippians 3 verse 7. We'll go down through verse 14. This is Paul writing to the Philippian church. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, if I say all things, and do count them but dung, that I might, that I may win Christ. Verse 9. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after, if that I might or may attain that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul said, I am caught, and I want to catch what has caught me. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I pressed toward the mark for the high prize, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. Now, this is not because my daughter got married last week. It's a pretty dangerous title uh, for you to come to a church where the pastor preaches from this subject. But I am brave to entitle this message today. I'm this close to losing it. I'm this close to losing it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm this close. And I'm not sure what happened to that, but that looked real nice on my computer, but just bear with me. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm this close to losing it. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus is enough. Thank you that the blood is enough. Thank you that I'm as free as I desire to be today. Thank you, Lord, that I need none other, nothing else. You are my all in all. Thank you, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Lord, that no man comes to the Father except by you. Jesus is the answer. Oh, praise God. And we give you glory for that today in Jesus' name. Let's give Jesus one more standing ovation. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. I was humored by 
Brother Kurt and uh, Olivia's Bible quizzer and Brother Kurt and Sister Amy and Hunter uh, frequented some of the Bible uh, quiz tournaments. In fact, going into the state tournament, they asked Brother Kurt to coach a team, and, and that was exciting, I'm sure, for uh, his team. And uh, I, he told me about uh, a timeout when he, they called timeout on the fellows that were on his team, and, and uh, they talked about the humorous uh, thought of when they ask a question and you're not sure what the answer is, hit the buzzer real quick. And when they ask for your response, you say, Jesus. Quote whatever verse, you hit the buzzer and say, Jesus. And when they say incorrect, you stand up and contest. Because they're saying Jesus isn't the answer. Jesus is always the answer. I thought that was pretty good. I, I think I'd grant that contest. You're right. You didn't quote the verse, but Jesus is the answer. Correct. Somebody say amen. That's, that's a lot of verbiage. That's a lot of, you know, we, we hear it all the time. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is all I need. In fact, they've written songs about it. He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. Uh, there are many stanzas, poems are written about his effectiveness in a believer's life and how he takes us through difficulties and storms. And, and I don't want to be your Google assistant today to give you random facts that you can find for yourself, but, but there are people's testimonies that Jesus was the way in their life and he brought them through tragedy, despair, terrible situations, and, and Jesus is good. He's faithful. He's ever-present. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. His blood is enough. Jesus is enough. And on this family Sunday, and of course last Sunday we kicked it off, and, and then we're going to have a fifth Sunday, and I, I noticed somebody's going to kiss a pig. I'm, I'm not sure uh, when, I, when this meeting was. I evidently missed it. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> i tell you what, I think, I, I think I'll make this stipulation that whoever was in the meeting and thought that their wives are going to kiss the pig with me, Anyway, no, I'm teasing. Hey, and, and it doesn't say where I've got to kiss the pig, right? <laughs> okay, doesn't say where. And it does say 50 adults, not 49, not 51, 50. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> really, yeah. Hey, I'll get down there and wrestle with a pig for that matter if you'll come to church and bring somebody with you. <laughs> we'll by all means read some. Somebody say amen. <laughs> All right, enough of that. I think I'm about to lose it. I'm this close to losing it. Paul wrote the book of Philippians, and in writing this book, it's interesting to take note of where this book came from. Paul spent the last, uh, his last years in prison. We know that. Paul ultimately beheaded for the cause of Jesus Christ. Uh, history tells us that this book, the book to the Philippian church, the church at Philippi was written in the year of 64 A.D. We also know through history that Paul was executed in, in the, roughly in that time frame in about 64 A.D. In fact, 
a careful analysis will, will reveal that Philippians most popularly is regarded as the last book that Paul wrote while he was alive. It's his last writing, his last letter. Last letters are important. Realizing where he was writing this letter, from where he was writing this letter, you have to appreciate the things that Paul had to say. This is not a man writing from the beach in the Bahamas. Of course, I'm not sure you'd want to be there today. This is not a man writing from some nice retirement facility sitting out in the back by the pool. This, this is a man who is in prison. He has been beaten. He has been abused. And when you read the book of Philippians, there's this positive note that keeps rising up to the surface. It just, you, you, you look in there and you expect to see anger. I've served Jesus and this is what I get. I'm faithful, I've given my life, and this is what I get. But you never see anger. You always see joy and hope, and I didn't lose nothing that I didn't get more in return. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, <laughs> you, don't, you don't ever read, read the entire book of Philippians. It's not that long. You could probably read it this afternoon after church. And not one time, I know, I know. I know what we say about God and Him understanding us, but not one time does Paul say, why? Man, if somebody can have what he has, I want it. No, no, you didn't hear me. If, I, if somebody can be imprisoned in stocks and bonds, be beaten, and then ultimately know that you're not getting out and you're going to be beheaded, if that man can, can write the last letter of his life and not say, why, God, I deserve better than I think I need to find out what he's got. I want that. I believe my family needs that. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. I know, I know. I, there's, there's times I've said, now why God? I don't understand your purpose. I, I recognize that. But, and I know these Bible stories seem superhuman. These Bible individuals, characters seem superhuman. Like they didn't live in the real world. But let's look at this for a minute. When you read this, you don't read Paul was angry for where he was at. You do not see Paul upset for the conditions of the prison. In fact, when you look at the first verse of Philippians 3, look at it. He's closing the letter. Finally, brethren, I'm closing. I'm closing. Man, I wish I had all that stuff I'd given up for Jesus. Man, if I'd stayed with the Pharisees, I'd be the superintendent by now. Uh-oh. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> Man, that went over like a ham sandwich at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> Are you hearing me today? 
Paul's in prison. This is the third chapter of his final book. And he says, boys, I'm wrapping it up. You need to rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous. He said, I'm not having a problem telling you this. I'm the one in prison. I'm telling you rejoice. I'm the one with my back that's raw. Rejoice. This is not too hard to write to you. I'm in the valley. But I say to you, rejoice. Come on. Is anybody glad that you know Jesus today? Is anybody glad he filled you with his spirit? Is anybody glad that Jesus shed his blood for you? Oh, give him praise right now. Now, this is not too hard. This is not too hard for me. This, I'm, not, I'm not being hypocritical. Paul's saying, I'm not being hypocritical. I'm not talking out both sides of my mouth that I'm really discouraged, but because this is in the Bible, I'm going to tell you to rejoice. This is preacher talk. No, he said, this is not tough for me. I know how to rejoice in the prison. And I write to you to rejoice. And then he says, it's not grievous for me, but for you it is safe. You know, we have a daycare here. There's been people come and they didn't know which door to come in. All the doors are locked. They buzz, knock, plead, beg, get on their knees, offer cash. Door doesn't open. You know why this place is locked down every day? We want it to be a safe place. Because people's children are here. Somebody say amen. Safe means secure, firm. Certain. Paul said, for me to say to you to rejoice is not hard for me to say, but for you it is certain. Joy is certain. Joy is secure. Listen, if joy is certain and secure, then why am I discouraged? Why am I depressed? I'm not in a prison today. I'm not physically incarcerated today. Nobody's abused me today. But wait a minute, there could be prisons of my mind. There can be my back, the back of my emotions can be raw today. My burden can be grief today. And if I'm not careful, I don't realize that my joy is certain in Jesus Christ. I know. I know it doesn't look good right now, but I believe Jesus bought my joy. I believe he purchased my salvation. I believe my joy is... Yeah, I've got a right to raise my hand and say, Lord, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to praise you anyway. I, I know my life isn't perfect, but I'm going to rejoice in what you've done for me because my joy is safe. Come on, weeping may endure. For, i got something to tell somebody. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. It is safe. Your joy... Oh. Man, I wish I was younger. Somebody praise him right now. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Your joy is safe. Your joy is safe. I don't care what you go through, your joy is safe. At the end of it, there's going to... Turn to your neighbor and tell him, my joy is safe. Amen. All right, go to verse 2. 
All right, finally, brethren, rejoice. Second thing, since I'm closing, <laughs> Paul says, beware of dogs. Listen, it's very important. You rejoice, but you need to be aware of some things. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Those are all KJV words. But these, this word dogs means wild dogs, which means destructive forces. Be, be, beware of destructive forces in your life. Beware of evil workers, people that want to rob you of your joy and your faith. And be aware, be aware of the concision. You know what that word means? It had not changed much. Here we are in the 21st century and we're so smart and educated. But it hadn't changed much because the word concision means to mutilate or to cut the body. Paul says beware of the concision. Cutters. Uh-oh. 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 I'm this close to losing it. How many church people, young people at a youth camp, if they raise their arms and their sleeves slide up and you ask them why? Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? It's fixing to get real in here. You can go to other churches where they can give you three points and a couple of funny stories and close with prayer. I want to communicate to you the word of God today. It has the power to save you if you'll let it. I want to tell you why there's the concision that Paul says be aware, beware of. I don't feel anything, preacher. I just, I just feel pain. And if that's the only thing I feel, I want to feel more of it because it, it, I feel real when I feel something. There's tragedy. There's pain. There's hurts. And so Paul said beware of that. Beware of destructive forces and beware of people that destroy themselves. This is not the answer for God's people. God wants you to have joy. He does not want you to sit in your bedroom with a razor blade and say, well, I feel nothing, so I hope I feel. No, he says he wants you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Come on, Jesus bled for me. I don't need to bleed for my joy. Jesus bled for my joy. I, I, all right, verse three. Verse three, for we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit. Somebody say amen. He's not talking about a nationality, Jews and Gentiles. Now he says the church is the circumcised ones who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence. He not only says beware of destructive forces outside, beware of the concision, your self-destructive forces. Then he says, then he says, beware of pride. Have no confidence in the flesh. Everybody okay this morning? I think we pride is very subtle. We can be pr proud of our denomination and proud of our religion and proud of our church. You better be real careful what you're proud about. I, I, I rise to say that I was nothing when Jesus found me. 
My denomination didn't deliver me. My church didn't save me. My pastor was not my redeemer. Jesus is my savior. And if I'm going to boast, let me boast in one thing. That's in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let me declare to you that if the church marches off into oblivion, this is one soul that's been changed by the blood of Jesus. And for this, I am thankful. Oh, come on, somebody praise him today. I hurry, I hurry. Paul says, be careful. Be careful of things outside. Be careful of self-destructive forces. Then he says, be careful of pride. Place no confidence in the flesh. And then, amazingly, in three verses, four, five, and six, Paul lists all the things that would make it possible for him to be proud. Verse 4, look at it. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. I'm telling you, don't have confidence in yourself. Oh, there's a lot of that going around. If any other man thinketh that he hath Look at the list. I don't want to read all the verses. Circumcised on the eighth day. The stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Oh, you ask about the law? I was a Pharisee. I had a law degree. Oh, you want to ask about zeal? Fire? Oh, I persecuted the church. Oh, you want to ask about righteousness? Oh, I was blameless. Look at that. He says, this is all the stuff I could be proud of. Uh Uh-oh. I'm preaching to godly people here today. You better be careful when your blameless attitude creates pride in you. You better be careful when you come to church and you stand in the middle of the congregation and you say, I'm so glad I'm not like them. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, see, I'm this close to losing it. Lynn's about to lose it too, I think. When Paul did the counting, and I hurry. When Paul did the counting, notice what counted. Look, look. He said, I could count all that stuff, but I'm not counting that. Look at verse 8. <laughs> Yea, doubtless, I count all things, what? As loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. All that stuff that I could be proud of, I put it on the altar. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as manure so that I might win Jesus Christ. He says everything is nothing when I compare all of that to what I have in Jesus. Paul said of everything else I had, it was nothing compared to Jesus. Wow. Philippians 3.9 and be found. In, look, not only is it all lost, if I say lost, I'm this close to losing it. 
and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. I really want to be found in him. I'm not interested any longer. It may come with age, but I could care less that people say he's an apostolic, he's a preacher, he's this, he's that. I want to be found in him. That's all that really matters. Not not using, having your own righteousness, not, not having my own boastfulness, but having the righteousness of Christ. You see, it really is not about me, and it's not about you. Oh, I wish that would really get a hold of us. Paul said, it's not about me. I want to be found in Christ that I might know him, not just go to church, not just check off a list of good things I do. No, I want to know Jesus. <laughs> that was his life mission. I, I, I'm not talking about church attendance. And, and is church attendance important? Absolutely. I'm not talking about checking a time clock. Is that important? Yes. It, it's giving my time and my money and my efforts to God. Is that it? Yes. Yes, emphatically yes. But that's not the ultimate. Paul said, knowing Jesus is my life's mission. Everything else is lost. Everything else is lost to knowing Jesus. Okay, I'm going to try to get you out of here by noon or at least open the altar at noon. And if you want to do lunch, you can do that. Or if you want to pray, you can pray. But I will say this. Remember now, we're talking about a man who had been on four missionary journeys beaten five times for the gospel, three times he had been shipwrecked, wrote 14 books in the New Testament, one of the greatest apostles that had ever lived. And Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know him. I believe that that should be all of our attitudes here today. I don't know anybody in this room that's written 14 books I don't know anybody here that's been beaten five times for the gospel, been on four missionary trips, Cheyenne's making an effort at it. But I will say this. If that's what that kind of man of God would say, who am I to strive for any less? I want to know Jesus. And if Paul says that I may know him, then that means he didn't feel like he knew him enough. See, now the worm is about to turn because I'm going to preach to people now who think they know him enough. I'm going to preach to me that says after 30 plus years of ministry and making his word my. Question, when they open the door, Tell them your name. Tell them you're in the safe place. Tell them I'm not going to do anything hurtful. But the first question, say, do you know Jesus? What do you think the answer is going to be? Oh, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. I go to this church. How do you know? Well, I go to that church. I'm an elder over there. Listen, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something way deeper than that. I'm talking about I need to know him more. 
And why do I need to know him more? The next verse tells us, verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul said, I don't want anything to stand between me and my salvation. And this world didn't save me. My house didn't save me. My family can't save me. My money can't save me. My health can't save me. My friends can't save me. I don't want anything. Stand between me and my salvation. Anybody in this room today would say with me, I want to be saved above all else. I, I, I don't think I want to be lost over anything. Philippians 3.12, not as though I would already attained. I'm not perfect. I've not attained. I'm not coming to possession of it. But I follow after. Everybody say follow after. Look what Paul says, I run, I hasten, I press forward. One translation says these words actually mean that he is chasing after something. I'm, I'm running after it. Verse 13, brethren, I've not myself, uh, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press for the mark. Sister Sherry can come. I'm closing. This is where Jesus being enough is really going to go under the microscope. Because Paul says, after saying all of this, and I've systematically gone verse by verse, where Paul says, look, I don't have anything to be sad about. I want to know Jesus with all my heart. He's my salvation, all these terms. But in verse 13 and 14, he says, I haven't made it, but I'm forgetting those things which are behind so that I can press or run for the mark. I want to finish the race. You do realize that we're in a race that's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You also realize that there are hindrances to your race. In fact, Paul said, lay aside every weight. <laughs> there are things that are going to try to trip you up. And Paul says, don't let anything keep you from pressing for the prize. I'm running the race. Paul says, forgetting. Forgetting. Everybody say forgetting. Forgetting. I reach forward to what is before me. I run for the mark forgetting. I press forgetting. I make haste forgetting. The word picture is laying aside everything to catch something. Okay. I'm this close to losing it. Paul forgot. Paul forgot. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. What did he forget? Well, he's the one that held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. He was the persecutor of the church. He had to forget. Joseph forgot. Savior of the entire house of Israel. A perfect type of Jesus Christ. Joseph in Egypt forgot. He named his first child, God has helped me to forget. When his brothers show up 20 years later who had thrown him in the pit and almost killed him, what did he say? When he saw his brothers, he said, I remembered 
the dreams. He forgot. There's hurts you have to forget. There's pain you have to forget. There's stuff. I can't. Oh, yes, you can. See, there have been people come to me and say, Pastor, they've said this. Pastor, you don't know how close I am to losing it. That's your problem. You haven't lost it. Paul said, I've lost everything to win Christ. Everything. See, you haven't lost it. That's the point. Paul said, I have to lose everything. I want to hurry because I don't want to preach beyond my your ability to endure. My old superintendent used to say, the mind can only comprehend what the seat can endure. God help me to keep that in mind. But I need to remind you today, you're serving the greatest forgetter of them all. No, God doesn't have a bad case of amnesia. He doesn't have Alzheimer's or all-timers or old-timers, whatever y'all want to call it. He doesn't have any of that. God chooses to forget. He chooses to take my sin and throw them into the sea called forgetfulness. You're serving the greatest forgetter. In fact, oh, I know you talk about David and all of his sin and everything he did and, and, and his, his girlfriend and knocked off her husband and killed him in the battle. And Nathan, the man of God, comes to David and says, you're the one that sinned. And David says, Lord, I've sinned. For... And as soon as David says, I've sinned, Nathan turns right around and says, God has put away your sin. Wow. What kind of God is that? That you can do that kind of terrible stuff and in one moment you can say, Father, I have sinned. And God say, it's done. It's over. It's, it's forgotten. Woo! It's forgotten. I want to tell you, he'll never forget your name. He never forgot how many hairs you had on your head. He never forgot your birthday or your anniversary. But what he did forget is everything you put under the blood. Oh, let's praise him right now. Yeah, it's noon. It's time to quit. Oh, you don't believe me? Listen, you are serving the greatest forgetter. Look in your Bible. I'm not going to do your Google stuff for you. Get your little Bible app. Search it for yourself. Just search Road to Emmaus. Search the term Emmaus. Emmaus. And read that account. Jesus has just resurrected. There are two disciples that saw him die. And they're walking back to their home in Emmaus. And the Bible says, while they're walking, Jesus walks up beside them and begins to walk with them. And while he's walking with them, the Bible says their eyes were closed so that they did not recognize him. 
and they were talking about his crucifixion and they were talking about what had happened in Jerusalem three days earlier and Jesus is walking with them and he says fellas what are you talking about and they say oh are you a stranger that you weren't in Jerusalem at the Passover didn't you see that miscarriage of justice didn't you see what they did to that innocent man didn't you see him beaten the crown of thorns put on his head didn't you see him die on that cross when I read those verses and got to the next verse after they explained to Jesus all that had happened. The man with the scars, the man with the marks, says to those two fellows who were trying to bring up three days ago, he says, read it for yourself, it's in your Bible. He says, what things are you talking about? You're telling me that he can go through Calvary, Brother Mac, and three days later he can say, I don't know what you're talking about. I let it go at the cross. It was more than just words when Jesus said, it is finished. It was finished. It's over. Okay. This is where we close. I know you would declare what the songwriter wrote. You'd probably get up on your feet and somebody might even run the aisles. If we started singing, take this whole world. What's the next? Come on. But give me Jesus. We like to sing it, but I'm not sure we want to live it. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Nothing is more important than knowing Jesus. And without a doubt, many of you has lost a lot of things to know Jesus. There are people sitting under the sound of my voice that they, friends parted ways, family members parted ways, the places you used to go, you don't go anymore. The things you used to do, you don't do anymore. Without a doubt, you have lost some things to know Jesus. But what about the things that people can't see? Huh? Oh, now I'm not talking about your hair or your dress or your face or, st or the thing that's the, the cross hanging around your neck or the cross hanging in your living room or your uh, uh, I love Jesus bumper sticker. No, I'm talking about what's inside now. See, the first commandment says, Thou shalt have no other gods. Is there any idolatry in your heart? That's what I'm talking about. Are there things that we have not yet lost? Look at it right now. Look at your heart right now. And see if there's anything that you've not lost. Are there things you're still holding on to? Or that are still holding on to you that you need to lose. I'm this close to losing it. He is the Lord over your time. He's the Lord over your money. He's the Lord over your choices. He's the Lord over your conversation. But you're still in a battle. 
still wrestling. And I close with this today. Did you know that two out of three of all addicts, two out of three, almost 70%, roughly, if you want to look at percentage, have previously experienced some type of trauma during childhood. I'm talking about families today. I'm talking about healthy families. God called families. Families serving Jesus today. Emotional trauma is one of the most unrecognizable, undiagnosed, and unreported forms of trauma. In fact, a person may work very hard to get sober only to find other addictive behaviors replacing Oh yeah, because you see what, what's happening is we deal with the symptom and not the trauma. See, there are many compulsion-driven behaviors. Don't jump up on top of this pulpit and scream about drugs and alcohol when your compulsion is eating. Oh, pastor. My God, I need to go to a church that's a little nicer to the people that show up. I'm I'm really trying to communicate to you to examine yourselves and, and say to Jesus, see, look at my ways, Lord. Well, hey, gambling compulsion, sexual promiscuity, control. Oh, I'm preaching now. Pastor, you have no idea what happened to me. That's why I have to control this and control. That's why I do what I do. You have no. Oh, oh, wait a minute now. I've suffered the loss of all things to win Christ. Or just the physical things, just the visible things. I quit doing certain things. What else do I need to lose? I'll tell you what you need. You're this close to losing all your pain. I'm preaching right now. As I look across this congregation, one of them standing right here to my left. If you knew, Lynn tried to write it in a book. If you could read the story of what happened to that lady when she was a little girl, it would blow your mind how humanity can treat a child that way. But I'm telling you tonight, today that Jesus is the answer. Not only to all your drugs and whatever you're smoking on and tweaking on. No, he's also, he also wants all the burden, all the hurt, all the pain. Yes, I'm this close to losing it. This close. This close. You remember it, Lynn? Lynn would pace in my office like a caged animal. I am not lying to you. That woman would walk across every wall over and 
over while I quoted scripture, prayed, said, Leon, God wants to heal you. That's what I'm talking about. You have to lose that. You cannot hold on to that. It will kill you. She's in this room right now. She's in this room right now. Her life was a wreck. And you know where it started? It started when a friend, a friend in church took advantage of her when she was a little girl, a teenager. She's in this room right now. It clouded every decision she made from that point forward. She ran, 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 but you can't outrun those things. They're in this room right now. Men, women. Oh, you know what? They're dressed in their Sunday finest. On the surface, it looks like they've given everything to serve Jesus. But these are the same ones, Olivia, that come in my office and say, Pastor, I love the Lord. I'm serving Him. I'm, I'm doing everything I know to do. But there's one part. Let me just be honest with you how your pastor feels. Families, I'm talking about your health today. I'm talking about what you would do for your family if you, if you walk these 20 feet, Brother Paul. Because you really are this close to losing it. Right there. You don't have to even do it there. You can do it in your chair right here. You can lose it right here. All the pain, all the hurt. I know, I know you wouldn't believe it. Melissa's sitting back here with those tears running down her face. You'd never believe, never believe that she was sitting in a vehicle, the cops chasing her and her boyfriend or husband or whatever it was. Yeah, living a lifestyle wild. She said, Pastor, I don't know how we survived that night. I thought somebody's going to get killed. You never know what somebody lays down when they walk up to an altar and they kneel down or they stand. I know you got lunch to get to, but oh, I, I'm, I'm so close to losing it. I could lay it all down right now. I could just, I'll tell you as your pastor, I have no idea how to help somebody that comes in and says, Pastor, I was a little kid. I went over here to this friend's house Bad things happen. I didn't like it. How, how do you help that? How do you help that, Micah? How do you fix that? Now do we do, listen, I'm all for support groups. But listen, do I for the rest of my life have to come every week and tell somebody what happened so that at least I can just flesh it out? Or is Jesus really the answer? Really? 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 Because if he is, therapy groups don't fix that. Doctorate, doctorates don't fix that. Psychology degrees don't fix that. Only Jesus fixes that. And if that is the case, 
we're wasting our time with drugs. In fact, wasn't it the Lord that said, I'm the one that brought you out. Have no other gods before me. Oh, well, wait a minute, Lord. You've, you cleaned me up real good. I got the Holy Ghost. I'm looking pretty good for church on Sunday. Huh. But I've made an idol out of my hurt. I have made an idol out of my pain. In fact, I worship it more than I worship you. In fact, while that preacher's preaching, I'm right now going through my mind about everything I've gone through that he has no idea about, that that's why I'm mad right now. I'm doing that in my brain right now. Yeah, and you don't have an idol, do you? Yeah, yeah. I have no other gods before me. Don't make anything a graven image, whether it's in heaven, in earth, or waters under. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Here he is, the God of heaven and earth. He picked out a nation. They didn't obey. They didn't serve him. The Philistines came, grabbed the ark, and took it into the house of Dagon. They're a false god. He looked like a fish. And they set the ark in Dagon's house. And the next morning they were shocked because they went in their temple to worship their fish. And their fish was on the ground. See, God keeps throwing your idol down. And you keep propping it back up. Well, the reason I act that way I do is because you don't know what happened to me. No, you're this close to losing it. What's this, 10 feet? You're that close to laying it all down. Somebody say amen. Okay, I got to hurry. I am hurrying. Addiction in any form soon becomes yet another problem. Before long, the cure no longer works and the causes, it causes far more pain. <laughs> Can I get a witness? The cure no longer works. It causes more pain than you thought it would. How many children of God am I going to meet who have dedicated their lives to Jesus? They want to serve Him completely, yet they continue to say, yeah, but you don't know what happened to me. How does anyone heal that? pastor's greatest frustration they didn't train me for this there are times I feel overwhelmed and I should you know why I should feel overwhelmed because I am not the Savior is anybody here See, this is going contrary to cultural norms. This is going contrary to what the world is conformed to. But the word says, don't be conformed to the thinking of this world. How much therapy takes that pain away? Or at least just helps you cope with it? How many friends does it take to be there for you? What about the idols that the Spirit of God knocks to the floor time after time after time and you keep going back and propping it up? What about the idol of abandonment? What about the idol of abuse and hurt and betrayal and sickness and heartache? I've got a word for you in this apostolic church. Jesus is the Savior.
I know it's simple, but I got another word for you. Jesus is the answer. Does anybody agree with that now? Come on, rise up on your feet. And why don't you praise Jesus who gave his life for you that you might be whole. Come on, lift your praise unto the Lord now. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is your answer. He's not just a answer. He is the answer. You're my help. I I had to lose it. I had to lose it. I had to lose it. Yeah, and you're this close to losing it. You're right on the door of your greatest victory. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to be bound anymore. You don't have to wake up in the middle of the night scared and not know why. Jesus can heal you today. I can't describe for you the trauma the trauma of divorce, the trauma of being forsaken by your father. I cannot describe for you the hurt. Some of you know it. I cannot put into words what goes in a young man's heart when he feels forsaken and abandoned. I cannot describe for you what goes on in a young man's heart when prays for his dad to get it right with God and seemingly it never happens. I can't describe for you what goes on in an old man's heart when you find out he doesn't have another altar call. His last sermon has been preached and when you go into his condo where they found him dead on the floor between the trash can and the counter there are nine leaders of empty scotch whiskey bottles. This is on Monday. In six days, he's gone through nine liters of J&B scotch whiskey. Yeah, I can't tell you what a son's heart feels at that moment. Yeah, I can live the rest of my life with that trauma or I can lose it. And I choose to lose it. I choose to lay it down. I choose to say, Lord, this no longer gets the power in my life. You are all I want. You are all I need. I cannot explain what has transpired. But I lose it so that I might know Jesus. And I think that's what Paul's talking about. You got to lose everything. You know what? I'm sorry. I'm 17 minutes over. But let me say, you know why some of you hesitate? Some of you in your head right now are saying, Pastor, if I really let that go, I might really lose it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You might really lose it. Brother Gene, I don't know what I'd do if I, if I gave that to Jesus. I might, 
I might jump off the walk around. I might jump off the balcony. Hey, you know what? I don't care. Lose it. Let me ask you this. Have you considered the Savior's tender invitation today? Open to everyone. Everyone. You heard about it earlier in your class. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. Oh, you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. While everybody's in this sacred moment, nobody moving around, I want to open the altar for anybody who wants to come and lay something at the feet of Jesus today. Just say, here it is, Lord. Anybody? Here it is. Lord, I, I've saved that little peace. I've saved that horror. I've saved that pain. And I've been worshiping it. And I've been holding on to it. But today, I'm, I'm bringing it to the altar. I want to be whole. I want to be whole. I don't want to be like the man 38 years by the pool that says I'm not healed because I have nobody to help me. No. Lord, you are my help today. Come on. Right now, you ought to run. You ought to hurry. Come on, I'm bringing it to Jesus. I've come to lose it. I've come to lose it today. Come on, as they sing, I want everybody that would. Bring me back to the heart of worship, God. Come on. Come on, I need you, Jesus. Come on. Come on, give me some saints that'll just come and pray. You're not the answer. Come on, don't try to be the answer. Just pray for him. Just pray for him. Don't try to give him the answer. You're not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Come on, right now. Come on, right now. I'm giving it to you, Jesus. Sing. Come into the heart of worship. It's all about you. Uh, it's coming out. I'm laying it down right here. 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 That's it. That's it. I'm laying it down right here. Uh, I'm losing it. For the excellency of Christ, I'm laying it down that I may know it. I'm laying it down. It's coming on in the day. Oh Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, I'm laying it down. Nothing's more important. Come on, Doc, that's it. I'm laying it down for the excellency of Christ. That I might know Him. That's what I want. That's what I want. Come on, Jesse, I'm laying it down. I'm laying it down. I'm losing it. I'm close. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Just to bring something that's a word.
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's all about you. Thank you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's all about you. Oh, come on, lift your voices to the Lord right now. Lift your voices to the Lord now. Let's praise Him. Come on, let's by faith activate what we know is true that He's our healer, that He's our deliverer, that His shoulders are big enough. Come on, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. Come on, Jesus is the answer. It's more than just a bumper sticker. It is a reality. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah.